Are you ready for a travel adventure? How about an exciting trip to Venice or an exhilarating experience in Bangkok? Maybe you were more about a culinary adventure in Barcelona or just a relaxing day cruising the canals of Amsterdam. Join the Professor Travel as he invites you on an epic excursion, one that has you traveling the globe with him. Come and experience a world of culture, a world of history and architecture, a world of food and experiences to broaden your mind and save you time and money as you travel. Learn more, discuss more, travel more, and enjoy life more. And now your host, The Professor Travel. Good morning, students, and welcome to this episode of The Professor Travel. I am The Professor Travel, welcoming you again. Uh, again, for those of you who are maybe not familiar with this channel, it's about learning about different destinations. It's about having a discussion as a community about those destinations, potentially traveling to those different facilities and locations, and then coming back and enjoying that experience, sharing it with the rest of the community so that way we can, as a, as a team, learn more about that, whether that's sharing pictures, videos, really making this a learning experience for everybody. Um, before we get started, I wanna, of course, share my social media sites. You can always reach me at theprofessortravel.com which can also be found on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at the same, theprofessortravel.com. And then also you can reach me on Twitter at theprofessortr1.com or, or just at theprofessortr1 at Twitter. And then you can also reach me at theprofessortravel at blogspot as well. Today, I have a very special guest. I would like to invite my visiting professor, Nura Fasu, to, um, to, to talk with you a little bit more about a wonderful experience she recently had going to Ghana. Um, so uh, I'd like to invite Nura. Uh, Nura, say hi to the rest of the students that are listening to us today. Hello, students. How are you? <laughs> Thank you so much for being <laughs> part of this. I really appreciate it. Um, so Thank Nura, you for having me. Oh, by all means. So Nura, um, for those of the members of the audience who are not familiar with you, can you maybe explain a little bit about your credentials um, so that way they understand a little bit more about who you are and maybe some places that you've gone? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in science and business management with a concentration in um, human resources. And I'm currently working towards my master's in public education with a focus in disease. Um, and places I have traveled, um, I've traveled to Austria, um, Malaysia, Singapore, Paris, Hungary, Italy, and the wonderful Ghana. <laughs> um, that is why we're here today. I want to know more about Ghana. And I think a lot of my viewers are also going to get a, really inspired about this. I, I've got to be frank with you. I have a lot of my, a lot of people I know who, who I come, who come on this channel really aren't familiar with Africa at all. And so to have someone who's actually been to Ghana and can really explain a little bit more about how, how that process looks, what, what to understand a little bit more about, it's going to be really valuable. And again, I thank you so much for being part of this. So thank you. So, oh, you're welcome. So how long in advance did you plan for this trip to Ghana? 90 days. <laughs> 90 days. <laughs> Very short notice. <laughs> I just decided uh, one day, uh, uh, you know, woke up and I was just like, you know what, it's time to meet my um, boyfriend's family at the time. So it wasn't fiance at that um, moment. And <laughs> and so, you know, we just were talking. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to come. 
<laughs> you know, I've always wanted to go to Africa. My entire family has been, has lived in Africa with the exception of myself and an, um, another sister, mm-hmm. but everyone else has been there and I'm not sure why I did not return to the motherland, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, um, but 90 days, that's what it took me. And I would probably say it was less time than that with the actual planning um, phase. Now, I've got to say, part of that planning phase, you must have started to look into different travel sites and different prices on, on plane flights, or was this just spontaneous and you saw like a really good deal to get on and it's like, you know what, that's it, I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> no, you know, actually first it was the idea that I wanted to go, and then, you know, I did look into, okay, which flight would be ideal for me. Um, I typically have friends that work at the airlines, so I would get really good deals, but Delta has changed a lot of, a lot of the process for me. So business class, I have to pay for on my own now. <laughs> so it, it, it requires me to be a little more frugal <laughs> when I'm looking for flights. <laughs> so what I did was I, um, I do, I use Priceline a lot for local hotels and local travel because I travel, you know, domestically a lot for work and just for pleasure. And so I started with, you know, the top travel Expedia and Priceline. And um, also Google has a really amazing feature now where it will, um, it has kind of like an um, aggregated system where it will, um, if you just plot in what you're looking for, the destination you're looking at and where you're going and the dates. And it will give you kind of a little competition to uh, Priceline and Expedia. Now, can I talk to you about that for just a second? Because that's something we've yeah. discussed on our previous podcasts and blogs before. I, I know that Google Travel is out there and I know some people use it for just comparing prices at different times of year and maybe looking a little bit more into that. Can you tell me how you were exposed to that and, and what features you used of it? Um, actually, um, you, you're absolutely, it doesn't, you can't lock in with all the carriers that are out there, but there's some carriers that will honor that, that has a really great relationship with Google Delta does not at this time. Um, or it's a subsidiary uh, group does not have um, an arrangement or agreement with Google Travel. So, of course, there was a really good flight with Delta, and I was not able to grab it. But, um, you know, I can play with the dates. You know, I can, you know, see, um, okay, if if I have a – if I have maybe – I think it was – um, what month are we in? I believe I went in October of 2018. And I'm sorry if I don't remember the exact date. Okay. But, um, <laughs> I, my first was uh, October of 2018. And when I was actually, when I actually booked my flight was only 45 days before I left. Oh my so God. So even though I. Wow. <laughs> That's really last minute for me. I'm I'm a last minute girl with travel. People will know that about me, professor. (laughs) So that's typically where you can get your really great flights, believe it or not. Last minute travel internationally. It ha- it, you do, it's the same, it's the same understanding domestically. Domestically, you know, they have one or two seats that need to be filled. And typically I have had really great luck of finding that on my international flights as well. Um, so, 
what I do is I play with the dates. I have a lot of flexibility with the dates, of course. So that makes it easy for me versus somebody who do not have that flexibility. It will be kind of very difficult. And I always recommend for them to book, you know, far in advance. But I do have a situation where I have flexibility. That's awesome. I was going to ask Mm -hmm. you, when you were looking into those flights and I mean, how flexible do you have to be? I mean, is it one of those things where you don't have access to aisle or window seats? You have to only do like center aisle seats. Like what kind of flexibility is there in the seating process? Um, You know, um, they don't allow you to book seating until you actually um, purchase the flight. So once I purchased the flight, I was able to actually purchase uh, the seating that I wanted. I could Oh, excuse me. I was even offered upgrade packages. So um, they have, yeah, they have like, um, I went on, um, I went, I had the web, I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of my, I'd never used them before. So it was a different airline and, oh, Turkey. I went, um, and I, yeah, and, they, and it, it, I went on Turkey Airline, and they have an upgrade where it's between, you know, economy plus and business. And so it's kind of like an economy executive, okay. and it gives you more room and things like that. So I was able to do those things after I booked the flight. Okay. That's actually, that actually sounds like a really nice deal. Um, now, I'm going to get into talking with you about the flight in just a couple of minutes, but before we get into that, I do want to know, in preparation for this and considering what a short time window you, that you had, i got to imagine, are there are there challenges with getting a visa? Were there travel medications that you need to look into or, or anything like, like I was telling, I was telling you earlier and just for my viewers, I'm going to be traveling to India next year. And so I know I'm, I have a very finicky stomach, so I have to kind of prepare myself ahead of time for the changes in the diet that are going to be occurring when I go over to India. Is there anything that you had to kind of pre-plan for and given that timeline? Um, There are recommendations. There are high recommendations of particular shots that you need and pills that you need to take. It all depends on the area you're traveling to. A lot of missionaries, they go to what we call the bush area where you can't even drive to sometimes. You would have to drive to a certain point and then walk by foot to get there or maybe boat. So those remote areas, you know, they have individuals that have typhoid and, you know, other severe type of uh, uncontrolled diseases, um, and viruses where it is highly recommended. But I was going to the Capitol, okay. so it's recommended, but it's not like a mandatory thing. And we come from the United States, so it's not um, mandatory that we have to get those shots. It is ideal. Um, I have what we call a sickle cell trait, which I'm highly immune to malaria, so okay. I opted out of the pills. Um, yeah. No, anytime I, I get a shot, believe me, I'm happy with that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I opted out of it, and I didn't. I also didn't take the shot because what I learned is that they use um, chicken eggs, um, for it and some other things. And at that time that I was traveling, not right now, but at that time, I had been vegan for over six years, so I wasn't interested in putting um, those type of things in my. Um, body. And so um, I met with a local herbalist and I built up my immune system even stronger than what it was. 
um, just to make sure that I combat some of the issues. But malaria is like the main issue that you want to wait, that you want to um, look out for. Some of the things that I made sure that I had was like a mosquito net, um, mosquito repellents, but I heard, you know, they're laughable sometimes over there. (laughs) But I didn't have, I didn't have, um, I didn't have much that I pre-packed that I could not get over there. So, you know, I, you know, I made sure that I met with a doctor and I talked about, okay, what can I do and what can I, what can I not do? And I think that conversation definitely needs to be had with the doctor um, before, you know, making your own, you know, assumption that you can, you know, overlook the malaria medication. So that's something that I I strongly recommend. But if you don't get it at, at, at your home uh, country, when you get over there, believe it or not, you can get those shots there. So they have it set up. And that's one thing I loved about it. I was like, you know, um, they have a station where you can get those shots, you know, there. So it's not something mandatory you have to get right at this moment. I was going to ask if you actually had to like speak with your initial doctor that you normally have like through, through your work, or was it something you had to go to like a special travel doctor in order to do something like that? Like, how did you, you have to, yeah, you have to go to a special travel doctor. Um, and there is a, <clears throat> there is a site that I went to and I, um, I just, uh, researched, you know, uh, travel doctors or medication for traveling. And then there were sites that would pop up, you know, that were certified for, um, to give out certain, um, vaccines for travel. So it is a it is a, a very unique place you have to go to, and then they also do waivers. For example, I did not want to take one of the vaccines that vaccines that were recommended, and so I paid for the waiver. And the doctor had to look at she had a a survey of things, and of course, if there was some things that she felt like she needed more information from my doctor. Um, I had to sign a medical release so she could, you know, examine those things. And my waiver was approved and I was able to pick it up before, before my travel. Nice. Okay. So let's actually, since we were already talking about some pre-packing stuff ahead of time, and, and I thank you so much for transitioning into that, let's continue mm-hmm. to talk about that. Um, so you're okay. getting ready to go to Ghana. Okay. So mm-hmm. you're getting packed. What are some things that you brought? I mean, considering the weather, considering the climate, considering your activities, what are some things that you did in order to prepack for this process? Uh, summer clothes. Because <laughs> we were going into the winter and I, I was like, oh, those are in storage. <laughs> so I had to go um, to storage and get some summer clothes. Um, I brought like, I kept it very light actually, because the weather is really hot there. And the time that I was traveling, I, you know, I, I spoke with my boyfriend at the time and he was like, yeah, babe, it's going to be hot. And, and then our bodies have to transition. The great thing about it, it wasn't that like humid hot, but it had, it was dry and it felt good. But, you know, I was sweating a lot, even when I was barely wearing anything. So the sunscreen is like something that I did not pack, which I would say, please pack. (laughs) Um, Please pack when you're there, because most people there, they have like, you know, heavily dense 
um, uh, melanin in their skin and they don't, it doesn't bother them. But for me, it bothered me. I also packed a ton of sunglasses because I knew the sun was going to be out most of the day. So, and it was strong. So definitely pack sunglasses and umbrella or some type of rain gear. It rains a lot there. Um, and I was just coming off of the raining season, but it was still, you know, at the end of the raining season when I arrived. So, you know, that's going to be important because like that June, July, August, like September, it started dwelling down. Even though I was there in October, it was rain and they rain strong, not like just like little um, sprinkling rain, like puddles and, you know, and things of that nature. So, Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I could, I could go swimming in the puddles afterwards. Okay. So, and also I would say mud boots, mud boots. Um, believe it or not, like rain boots, because it gets you, the streets are not paved there. Uh, so I would say, uh, let me say 90% of the streets are not paved. So when it does rain or even when it's not raining, it's just, really rocky and stuff like that. So I would pack that. I would pack some strong, like hiking sandals or hiking boots. Those helped me a lot mm-hmm. uh, on my travel. Um, and that's pretty much it. With, like I said, the mosquito net is going to be important and having your, you know, uh, mosquito repellent. Okay. Did you pack a hat also? I didn't hear that amongst the stuff that you were talking about. No, I, I didn't. I'm not a big hat person, but if you are, if that person, students are, if you're a hat person, pack a hat. Cause my boyfriend brought me a hat and I was like, I don't need this. And I did need it once, but I was just, I bared the sun because I was just like, you know what? I need sun. <laughs> so um, I'm not a big hat person anymore. Like I used to be. Do you know how close Ghana is? I mean, just for the viewers and myself, because I'm not really familiar with this. Do you know how close it is to the equator? Like how far it is from the equator? Um, It's a a bit of a distance. Um, It's a bit of a distance, but it ain't that far. Um, It doesn't feel that far. (laughs) No, you know, um, I forget. We were having a discussion with, I went to this vegan place there. We were having a discussion with, um, the owner, cause he was from South Africa, you know, and I, he told me that he told me the distance, but it wasn't that, it wasn't like a tremendous amount of time, uh, amount of travel from it, but it gets hot, but not like <laughs> how it gets when you're near the equator states, yeah. you know, and for those of my, for those of my viewers who are not familiar. And I don't think I mentioned this earlier in the video. I know I spoke to you about this beforehand. Uh, you're, you're coming from Michigan. So yeah, it can be a very cold climate in Michigan compared to Africa. And it's like, oh, my goodness, what a transition that's going to be for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> especially during, you know, right now it's in October and this is around the time that I left <laughs> about a year ago for the first time. Um, and it's cold here. I'm wearing my um, fall jacket. And yesterday I was wearing my winter coat. So <laughs> just to kind of give you an idea, uh, we call it manic Michigan because it has a very manic perception when it comes to seasons. It decides it wants to be what it wa- wants to be when it wants to be. Um, and so, you know, uh, we didn't have any snow at the time, a couple of flurries, I know in October, 
Um, and so we didn't have any snow, so we didn't have to worry about those things, but it was cold and um, most of the individuals that are traveling to Ghana and they see me with this winter coat, they're like, what's the problem? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, it was, it, it's cold um, where I'm traveling or I should say cool um, and around the time that I'm traveling and just the body transitioning is just, it's something to get used to. I know my body was just shocked for the first couple of days. You know, um, because it was just so used to it being cool, and now it was like going into the hot zone. So, yeah. and that actually brings up another interesting point as we transition uh, into airlines. I'm going to want to know a little bit more about if you had like jet lag either for or from, but I'll, I'll get into that in just a couple minutes. So, okay, let, let's talk about which airport you left from. Uh, which airport do you typically fly out of? Uh, we have the main one, which is the um, the Metro Detroit Metro Airport, um, Airport Code uh, DTW, um, and I have my relatives drop me off. I typically leave my car with one of my sisters or so, and let them use my car or a nephew or a niece or something. Um, and they drop they drop me off at the airport, and um, that's pretty much how I got there. That makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah, it's easier. It saves money. I'm all about saving money sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so you, but it's, it is cheap. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, please. But from um, Uber or Lyft perspective, it is cheap. I used to be an Uber and Lyft driver. So it's typically, um, you know, a, a person who is traveling maybe about, 30 to 40 miles from the airport um, or within that, I, I, I would say you probably pay like a dollar a mile um, to get to the airport. Okay. And Uber and Lyft is very strong in Michigan, so it's very easy to find a car. Perfect. I know for myself, we, I live in Southern California, so again, we're not seeing flurries here in Southern California, but from here, in order to get to LAX, it's about 50 miles from, from where I'm at. So, yeah, I can totally understand that. When we travel, we typically will leave our car up there if it's for a couple of weeks. Because I don't want to bug my, I mean, not that you're bugging your relatives or friends or family, but mm -hmm. my perspective on the matter is I I don't want to bug my friends or, or relatives to do this unless they're really, really close. And I'm going to be there for like just a couple of days. And then at that, okay. same, and then at that same time. I, I kind of I kind of like it when I get off the airline just to mm -hmm. go over and pick up my car and just drive away. I mean that that's just me. I'm a creature I'm a creature of habit and convenience, I guess to a certain extent. Yeah. But I love hearing other people's perspective on, you know, what they like to do with, as far as the parking goes or the traveling goes as far as that goes because it, it really does matter to the viewer on whether or not they're of the of the mindset, "Hey, I want to save money and time." And what priority that looks like to them. So again, thank right. you for sharing that too. So oh yeah, I'm I'm like you. I'm like you, Scott. I do. I love getting off, but I knew that this travel was going to be pretty longer. This is longer. I stayed over there for like a month and a half, almost two months. Oh wow! And yeah, and so when I um, so this particular airport is under construction a little bit, and one of their lots that was very affordable was closed. So I doubt 
I prefer not to leave it with my relatives if I don't have to. Because <laughs> um, nobody takes care of your things like you do. But uh, in this situation, at this particular time, that's what I had to do on this on this flight. But like what you said, it probably wouldn't be cost effective. I mean, the longest I've ever put a car into um, a lock war was about two weeks when I was traveling out mm-hmm. on X. I can't imagine yeah. what cost would be if, I was going to be traveling for a month and a half. In fact, actually, I should start to consider that because that trip I was telling you about to India next year yeah. is going to be a little over a month. So when I'm thinking about that, I might just actually have a friend of mine drop me off at LAX because I don't want to incur the expenses, yeah. that kind of parking for that long of a time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a uh, parking lots because I've been to Ghana twice. And the second time that I went, I did store it. Um, but I went through a different airport when I got there. I actually went to Canada. (laughs) Yeah, I went to Canada on my second go-around to Ghana, and I parked it at a facility, and it cost for the entire month, I think, $150. Oh, my goodness. So I paid. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I did some research on that. That That planning of the second time I went to Ghana was a little bit, it took a little longer planning. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So let's talk about the flights. So you, it sounds like you settled on Turkish Airlines to get there initially. Did you do Turkish Airlines the entire way, both round trip? I did. I stayed with them round trip so I can um, collect my miles. Ooh, nice. And I kind of researched. Um, I kind of researched them. I said, okay, is this. I mean, just a one-time thing, or is it going to be something I'm going to utilize them in the future? And I'm going to utilize them in the future because I noticed through history, they may not have the best layout internally in the plane and the flight, but they have a lot more of a lot, a lot of options in terms of traveling back and forth to Ghana. And I like that because I wanted to. I wanted to go. We see the blue moss in Turkey. So I was like, okay, I can get two for one. And so I utilized the time, um, a flight that was like a long lay, like a 12 hour layover. And so I used about eight hours of that just to really explore Turkey. Um, <laughs> and it was during an interesting time, um, where there were some political things going on. So I kind of had to make it really short and come back to the airport. But it was, it was a good, um, it was a good experience. It was a good experience. I was going to ask you, which city? Was it Istanbul? Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. I, I, that, I know that's a major hub for Turkish Airlines, and a lot of people, when they're doing the stopovers, they may spend some time there. Like, like I, I want to say there was a Turkish Airline, I was going to fly to Venice from Southern California a couple of years ago, and they actually mm-hmm. did a stopover, but it was like a, it was like a, like a 20 hour stopover, which people were like, Oh my gosh, I would never want to stay in the airport that long. You don't stay in the airport that long. You go out, yes. have, have fun, enjoy the area. I mean, yes. if necessary, yeah, get a hotel close to the airport or something like that. But yeah, experience the bazaar, experience, you know, the various, the blue mosque, experience everything around the area because chances mm-hmm. are, if you're not, if you're not used to coming there, it's going to give you the flavor for Istanbul. And if it's something that you enjoy, I own mm-hmm. a longer time there, and that's it's a great opportunity to get that sneak preview of it. Yeah, and you do have to you do have to get your visa in advance, your visiting visa 
in advance or I, it's called like a travel a transition or a layover visa. I'm sorry. I can't even think about it. But they do have a, a special layover visa for that purpose. And then they have individuals at the airport that already have packages. So if you say, hey, I only have like, you know, 20 um, eight hours, they have like packages already picked out for you, pre-planned packages um, that you can select. And I met a young lady who was on her way to see her boyfriend um, in Nigeria, which is a neighboring state, state country. So her and I met, we were talking and we did the tour together. Oh, so, nice. you know, yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot of fun. I mean, that was a lot. I was meeting so many people on the flight. Um, you know, and was, you know, it was good to find somebody who was traveling for the same reasons I was traveling. So, so what was the, what was the total flight time? Do you think between Michigan and getting to your destination in Ghana, less the stopover time in Istanbul? Um, it was, so I think it was like the 12 hour layover. And then it had from, it only took about five hours to get to Turkey, okay. believe it or not. And then from Turkey to um, Ghana, it was only five or six hours. Okay. So actually, if I wanted to do a straight flight, which I typically um, do sometimes, I go to JFK, there's a straight flight. It's only 10 hours. It's only a 10-hour flight. It's an hour to get to JFK, and then it's 10 hours to get to Ghana from JFK straight without but, stopping. But you know what? If Like what I was saying earlier, if you want that transition, if you want to have that stopover, that really interesting experience, I mm -hmm. got to tell you students, don't be afraid of doing this. Um, yeah. Sometimes have a really amazing time when you're doing something like this and to a place maybe you've never even thought of. It, it's really worth just giving it a shot. I would encourage that. I agree. I agree. Now, um, when you arrive in Ghana, you had, um, were you picked up by uh, any family members? Was it one of those things where you got like a pre-booked um, hotel there, like right around the airport or nearby and before you started your tours? What, 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 was the, what was the goal? What were you doing there? Well, my boyfriend, he owns an apartment in Accra. So um, he actually works maybe eight hours away, but he um, has, he has an apartment in Accra. And so he picked me up. So he picked me up. And it's very common for them to use cabs um, there because people typically don't own their um, cars. I mean, people do own cars, but, I mean, it's, a, it's so common for you to pick up an Uber. They have Uber over there, too, everyone. <laughs> I thought that was super cool. I, 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 I did not expect that. You know, um, but, yeah, he just picked me up. One of his um, friends who is a driver you know, he um, paid him to pick me up and we went out to dinner and we got back to the, to our location, to our uh, room, uh, not the room, but the apartment that he rents and we put things down and then we, we called an Uber and went sightseeing around the, around the town at night just because I want, I was just so excited. So that's pretty much how it went. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you about your itinerary because I'm very curious about all the different places you went while you're in Ghana. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm. So, sorry, I was drinking some ice water. Oh, that's okay. Um, 
so my so my boyfriend he planned out everything. So we went to he showed. So I was in Accra, which is the capital. They got condos, skyscrapers, everything. So I don't want people thinking they're gonna fly in and see like you know an elephant or a lion or something. I just wanted to be <laughs> be clear. It's pretty much gonna look like you're downtown. <laughs> so. I mean, I thought that was very fast. But what I did notice is that they they very they encourage like street vendors to do their thing, you know. So you do still see the women with the big baskets on their heads, full of stuff, you know, that I saw in books. And I'm gonna, you know, I hope this is not stereotyping, but it's just the images that I saw and I read about, and I'm actually physically seeing them. So it was interesting to see that that old world type of culture and practice still happening in this very modern, you know, landscape, you know, here you have this big high rise going up, it's 80 grand for a one bedroom apartment. And then you have this like sweet darling woman with this huge basket on her head with like, not like light things, like very heavy things. And she's carrying it and talking and turning and like not one problem. And it was just, I was in awe. So we, we did see a lot of that. We also traveled to the capital, um, I'm sorry, to Cape Coast, which is um, about four hours from the capital. And we went to uh, visit um, the capital, um, which is the Cape Coast capital. And we got some history of the slave trade and the door that most of our forefathers went through um, before they came to the Americas. And that was very very emotional, very impactful, and very educational. And I think that, I think everyone, um, regardless if you have ancestry in Africa or not, just to go through that, being an American, because it's such a rich part of um, our culture. It's so embedded in our culture. And it was just so amazing. I just was you can you can even smell the smells of the dungeon area, and it was just it was just mind blowing, just mind blowing, just total. I'm still affected by it. I can understand that. In fact, when I um, <clears throat> I, 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 I as some of my listeners might know, I'm Jewish, and so to go to places like mm-hmm. the Holocaust Museum or going to yeah. um, you know places like. Uh, you know, Nuremberg or, or, or it it can be a little bit jarring, but it's one of those things I encourage everyone to take part in and, and, and learn, you know, it's not necessarily a place you're going to get a lot of enjoyment from, but it's all, but it is, or you may, I mean, it depends on the nature of the, of the people, because there are people who are there, but it could be a very good learning experience. And one that I think really does open up people's eyes to culture. It does. It does. It does. And it was, it was such an amazing learning experience for me. Um, And I learned some things that I didn't even know. One of the things that the tour guide said is that, you know, um, and I was vegan at the time. So, you know, I was like really excited, (laughs) but he was like, Oh, you know, um, this part of Africa, they didn't, they didn't have meat. They didn't have pig. They didn't have cow. So those things are not even, those things are not the norm of Africa. And I was just like, well, what did y'all eat? (laughs) And so I was like really rooting for the vegans. I was like, yes, juices and berries. (laughs) No, I'm just being funny. (laughs) You know, I, another place. Oh, go ahead. Huh? 
no. I was gonna I was gonna ask you really quick before you went on this journey. Did you actually do like an ancestry uh, research to find out like maybe what part of Africa your family was from or what regions in general? No, I already knew. Like my um, father um, family is from um, the northeast part of Africa. So I, I, I kind of knew more about his lineage and because it's very strong. Um, and my mother is um, like her grandmother was 100 percent Blackfoot. And her dad and her dad was um, her grandfather is was 100 percent Irish. So I'm not saying that we don't have a mix on my mom's side. Um, that's probably from what I'm pretty sure we do have it. But it's so minuscule um, in terms of our lineage. And so it's very strong here. It's very strong in Ireland. And it's very strong on the northeast side of Africa. Interesting. So, um, but but I know I know there's 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 mixing of West African in our blood. I just don't know how much. Perfect. Okay. So, how long did you stay in that specific town for? Um, we stayed there for probably about three or four days because his sister was there, and she lived in that town. Um, and so I got a chance to meet the family for the first time, like physically. And so it was very rewarding. Like the kids, uh, the nieces are amazing. His, his sister was amazing. I didn't get a chance to meet the sister's husband because he was, he's typically at work a lot and in school. And um, his sister works in HR. So it was a really amazing connection that I made with her and her family. So, uh, but we stayed there for about four, about four days. And then we went a little further out. Um, we went to, an, to the, to a uh, Kamoyo waterfalls. And that was just absolutely, be- it was beautiful. I mean, we had, we have to, t- we had to take like a bus. And then at some point, the bus didn't go, so we had to, like, take these little cabs, and the cab took us to a certain road, and then we got into a truck. (laughs) It was so fun, I'm telling you guys. I was just like, okay, this is an adventure in itself. And then when we got to the waterfall, we had to walk because there's no trucks or whatnot that can get there. So then we had to go down, like, 175 steps. Oh. And trust me, coming back up was not fun, y'all, especially <laughs> for me. <laughs> I have a little extra weight than most of the Africans that I met. <laughs> so, you know, so, uh, actually, can I, can I stop you there for just a second? Yeah. People, people are really quite surprised when they go overseas because they realize when they, when they look at people, whether it's in Europe or Africa, that a lot of people mm-hmm. are skinnier. And I think part of that is because of oh, actually two reasons. One, the diet here in the States usually tends to be a little bit heavier. And then two, mm-hmm. they do tend to walk a lot more uh, yeah. in the United States. I mean, as you meant, as you alluded to earlier in the conversation, not that many people, at least in that specific area, had, had cars for you. As opposed to yeah. when I went to Europe, a lot of people, especially in um, places like the Netherlands and and, and Denmark and and um, Belgium, they're, they're they're on bicycles almost the entire time. I just got back from Venice. You can't even drive in Venice at all. I mean, no, you can't. Yeah, no. There's just you, you, they figure out ways to get around, and it's always fantastic. But it just you have to you have to adapt to it. And sometimes people over here in the states just aren't accustomed to to that. So it's just a matter of adapting to those right. situations. 
And it's interesting that you bring up that point. Uh, those places that you mentioned with the bikes and things like that, and even Venice, they don't destroy this natural beauty that exists around them, this natural, beautiful landscape. They cherish those things. And I'm not saying that we do not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, um, for example, this waterfall, they could easily create this, you know, system where it makes it easier for us to get to. And they wanted, they intentionally created steps that were using natural resources like the rocks and things like that to make it a part of this natural landscape. They didn't want to really touch anything that was going to really shape or change that too. So that's another thing that I've noticed um, about, um, about visiting Ghana is that they were, I would mention like, well, you can make this more. And they were like, well, why will we do that? Then we'll mess up this. And, and I never really thought from that perspective. So nature gets priority first, you know, and they feel like they're a visitor to nature. And that was just something that I was just not ready for. And that's a mindset that they had. And I was just like, Wow. I mean, I'm all about like saving the trees. I'm like a big tree hugger and I love animals and all that, you know, the whole vegan thing. But I was just like, I mean, it's embedded in everybody that I've met. And I was just in awe by that. So, but yeah, I could, I had to take the 170 something steps and even going down the steps was a lot for me because you use a different type of muscle. It's kind of like you're on the Empire State Building. You have to go down the steps. So I, was like, I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> so, but it was beautiful. Once you got to the waterfall, it was just absolutely beautiful. You know, it was just an experience. We stayed there for, you know, a few hours, and then I had to go up those steps. <laughs> and when I got up to the steps, I had to rest. <laughs> And everybody's looking at me like, what's our problem? We got to keep going. And I'm like, no, I need 20 minutes. And so once I was able to overdo that, then we went to a butterfly sanctuary. Um, and then it was a monkey sanctuary. I mean, Africa was just like Ghana. I keep saying Africa, but Ghana, Africa was just, it was just revealing itself more and more. And the monkeys were free to roam around. There were no fences. There were no cages. Unlike when I was in Malaysia, um, a lot of places that I, that I went to was, I saw them occasionally a lot, but there they were like, mm -mm, the monkeys are free to do whatever they want. And they did. And so I had to keep my little phone hidden because they would come up and snatch it. But, but it was just a really great experience. It was, and, it, and these were all planned excursions that my boyfriend had planned for me. One of the other things I want to talk about, because you bring up another really interesting point. When people think about Africa, like you had me mention, the stereotype is to think about like the bush in general. And it's like, you know, mm -hmm. it's not all about that. When people think about Africa, they really need to kind of broaden their mindset. Uh, for example, uh, several places I've wanted to go in Africa really have almost nothing to do with the bush. And this has been mm -hmm. from a longer mindset. I, I wanted to go to Morocco. I wanted to go to Egypt. Um, I'm going to, mm -hmm. be going to next year, I will be touching a little bit in the Bush area, um, going to Tanzania, Kenya, and um, South Africa. But even mm -hmm. South Africa is m very modernized now, you know, especially on, and, and uh, like all around that area. So mm -hmm. I guess it depends on what you want. Just like here in the United States, there are places right. that are huge in cities, and then there's much more rural area. It just depends on what you're more right. accustomed to. And I'm a city kind of guy. I like cities. I, yeah. I travel to cities. 
my husband's a little bit more of a rural kind of guy and that's fine. I mm-hmm. can deal with that on like little like samplings, but <laughs> I, I really do like, I really am much more of a city person. So yeah, that those places do exist and the, and the conveniences of modern technology and or conveniences are still there while still respecting the beauty and the glory of nature is beauty. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly a great summary. Um, and that was definitely my experience being, um, you know, in Accra versus going to Cape, Cape Coast was definitely a little more rural, but I wouldn't necessarily call it like the bush area it was the areas that I, you know, experienced. It was definitely um, some modern elements. I would consider it the suburbs. <laughs> I always call it the suburbs. And there is an area also um, I went to where we had to go to the waterfalls was like the Sunyani area, which is about eight hours from the capital. Um, it's very rural. Now, that's an area where it's like, extremely rural, still being developed. But, you know, those, that's the area where a lot of you see a lot of wealthy homes, like ma- mansions being built. <laughs> Even though it's a rural area, it's, it's, a very, it's one of the cleanest cities in Ghana. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that. So um, just think about New York City <laughs> and, you know, um, and Orange, New Jersey, like a suburb area in New Jersey. That's how it's like literally night and day. I used to live in the Bronx and Accra reminds me of the Bronx a little bit. And for, wow. It all depends on what area. Um, so, you know, I saw like a ton of trash, but then I'll go maybe like two or three miles down the way and that will be like Fifth Avenue type of, you know, experience. So it does depend, uh, depend on the neighborhood and things like that, but it's just, it's just, it's a major populated city. So, you know, you're going to experience all the things and that you experience in a city, but Suyani was clean everywhere was just beautiful and clean and the chiefs there it is for a reason because they do have a recycling clean initiative like it's major you know that's part of their you know laws and you know um, ideas and mission and I thought that was very amazing because I recognize it you know visually and then when I heard about the history and um, the goal and the purpose behind that, it was, that's what, that's what they want. And that's exactly what I see. Um, and it's just, a, Africa was just a beautiful place altogether. It, it was so many, it's so many things to see in Africa. You just like any other place, you can't see them in, in one stop. And, um, I had to visit a couple of times to see some things. So, and I will definitely be back to see more. Can I ask you about two more things really quick about Ghana? Sure. When you were over there the first time, did you have an opportunity to go to any museums at all? Yeah, I went to, um, I forget, I'm so, I, I'm so bad with this stuff, and I do apologize, and I can always send you information where you can provide links in the future, but I did um, go to a museum um, where one of their leaders, Kwame, um, he's, I forget the name of that museum, but he, his wife is actually, um, buried there. Um, and he's, they brought his body back to be buried there. And it was just so amazing. They went over the history of what he was trying to do. I did not know that he was the reason why a lot of women were in government and that are in government today in Ghana, because it was definitely, you know, not a place where, you know, you saw many women and 
leadership other than just being somebody's secretary. And he really had this initiative to really bring the gender roles together and to have equal opportunity for women and men in Ghana. Now, after, you know, his death, it kind of went back to where it was, you know, where it is. But it was just really remarkable. That was my huge takeaway from being at that museum and learning about his history and how impactful he was with liberating Ghana. Um, and not only just liberating Ghana from under, you know, colonialism, but also he said, okay, we did that, but we also have to deal with some of the issues that we have within our community, you know. And so he worked, he did a lot of work to, you know, just bring an equal playing field for all of Ghana residents. Fantastic. And then we touched on one of the other things I wanted to go over earlier, but I'd like to know a little bit more about this. Um, I know you, you've said that you're vegan. Um, what is the cuisine like in Ghana in general? Me. No, no, let me, let me, I'm just being funny, but you know, um, they, one thing I will say, they are huge with organic, the organic process. So they don't need to have special, you know, um, search to say they're organic. They grow most people, 99.9% of people grow organically there. Um, and they've been doing that for centuries and, if you come in with sprays, trust and believe everybody knows about you. And they're, they, they kind of shun on that. Um, we were walking past a little uh, garden and my, uh, my, um, I'm, I'm so weird. Cause I'm like, at the time he was just my boyfriend, but my husband now, he was like, Oh no, no, no. We're not eating there. They spray, you know, and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They spray, they spray. And it was just like, as soon as he mentioned that everybody in the walking vicinity was saying that. So they are hugely against non-organic um, ways to farm and, you know, harvest foods. And I, I love that about them. Um, you can actually go out and pick from most gardens. Most people have gardens there. Um, I know the people that cooked for us, you know, I've tasted things like callaloo and fufu, and, which is like pounded yams. So they take yams, dry it out, and they pound them down to a powder, and then they make it. To me, it's like dumplings. I'm not a dumpling fan, but that's a huge thing is fufu there. So you're going to – you can't chew fufu. You're supposed to swallow it just to let you know I chewed it with a fork. You're not supposed to eat it with a fork. <laughs> so please, students, fufu does not – do not chew fufu and do not eat it with a fork. You need your hands. <laughs> yes, your fingers, your fingers. They give you like a little bowl where you can wash, you know, before and you can wash afterwards. And um, even at the most, the best of restaurants, the five-star restaurants, I saw people eating with their hands. It was just very interesting. That's a little bit different than what, what we are used to over here. Um, but there's a lot of places where they eat with forks, you know, and they have forks. If you're not comfortable doing that, they do have forks, but the food is so good. It's so fresh. I mean, there's a lot of street vendors. You just got to be careful because they don't have, um, health department credentialing on a lot of the street vendors. I mean, that was, that's actually one of my goals in the, in the future. Once I finish my, um, degree is to really be instrumental over there with the um, health department 
in terms of food because a lot of the illnesses, you know, are born through the food, you know, improper washing of hands and things like that. So just be careful with the street vendors, you know, listen to your gut. If your gut was like, mm, I don't know about this one, even though the food might look enticing, like leave it alone, leave it alone and just stick with the restaurants there. I did try the food on the streets. <laughs> but I was very, very, very selective. And certain things I just did not eat. I just, no. They had a salad that they put mayonnaise in and stuff like that. I didn't touch those because I'm like, I don't see ice. I don't see a refrigerator. So I know, and it has eggs in it. So I know if you eat this, you're going to get sick. Chances are, you know. And so those are the things that you have to think about. And I would just really strongly encourage individuals, bottled water. It, literally bottled water because some they have the waters in the bags too, um, but I wouldn't even do those because you don't know where the source came from, and so their stomachs are used to the parasites and stuff like that. And, and, and certain waters, ours are not, and a lot of people get you know the the stomach issues because they get sick. I had a lady who emailed me and said, hey, I had some pineapple from the side of the road. Well, we don't know how clean that knife was to use and if she washed her hands and things like that. So if you're going to buy fruit and stuff, make sure it's whole fruit and you you cut it up and things of that nature. And that's kind of pretty much what I did. The fruit was amazing over there. The pineapples are amazing. Every pineapple tastes like candy. <laughs> but those are the things. Those are my takeaways in terms of the food. The meat typically is, is oh, God, is you know, because the second time I went to Ghana, I was not vegan at that time. <laughs> so I had already started eating meat um, a little bit. I still don't eat a lot, but I started back eating meat. And um, it's just a big difference. And they cook a lot with fish, and the fish is fresh. Like, they go out that day, and they bring it in, and you go to the market, and you purchase. This is an everyday thing. So that was another amazing experience. Like, I can tell the big difference between the fish that I buy frozen mm -hmm. in the marketplace versus the fish I get that I receive when I'm in Ghana. It's uh, it, there's so many preservatives over here and a lot of the stuff that we eat, you just never realize it until you actually do have the real stuff. And then you're like, Oh my yes. goodness, this is incredible. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes people might get uh, a little bit of a shock to it. They say, well, I had all this organic food and I was good and I still got sick. So technically you're not actually sick. Your body is cleansing. And so that's, too, um, you know, people are like, oh, I had some friends that got a little bit of the guts. And it wasn't that they got the guts because they were eating from the food I was cooking, but all these foods that I was cooking for them were fresh, organic foods, and they will automatically clean your system out if, you know, you have something like if you're a little backed up or, you know, you have some little whatever. Um, and then, you know, that's something to think about and just to kind of keep in mind and take it easy and don't overindulge because the food is amazing. But don't overindulge. Uh, mono meals is suggested in the first day or two so your body can just get, like you say, you're going to India. Your, your body has to adjust. It's the same thing at Ghana. It's the same thing when I go to the South. You know, I, I, my body has to adjust to certain foods down there that I'm not normally eating up here. Yeah. And I mean, we're so used to a, a diet that's heavy in grease and fats and things like that. You go to other places, they're not really as prevalent in that cuisine typically. No, no. And Ghana, 
I mean, they cook, they may fry a little bit in grease and stuff like that, but not really. The chicken is broiled in the flames. So is the fish. You know, they have oils and stuff that they use, but not like that deep. And a lot of their, a lot of their foods are soup based. And it's just like your waters and your seasonings and your, and you have your little bit of your meat, but that foo-foo is not far behind. (laughs) (laughs) Foo-foo is a big, big, big foo-foo and banku is a big thing there. Okay. Fantastic. Now, Sounds like you had a great trip over there. Let's talk about the disembarkation and the return back to the state. Okay. I'm going to be curious about how the flight was. I also want to know about customs and or border patrol, uh, slash passport control. How was that transition for you coming back? Oh, you know, actually it was such an easy process um, going there. And, you know, I don't know if I mentioned that, but you do need a visa to enter Ghana. Um, it is not a visa free state. So we do need a visa. And typically, um, the visa did not take long to receive. But when I was going back, I mean, I didn't have any issue. It was just like, they're very warm. The people at, you know, customs are very warm and they were like, they, they take it serious though. Don't think they're not looking. They take it serious, but they, um, it was, I think 15 minutes, maybe. Oh, that's fantastic. That's really good. Yeah. I like that. Okay, then. Well, then we'll move on to the takeaways. So um, based on this experience that you had, what were the pros, if there were any cons, and then what's some value add that you can give to the students who are watching this, who might want to know about maybe cost savings or um, best practices, something that they aren't necessarily used to? Um, One of the pros is definitely the rich history. Um, One of the things I didn't get a chance to mention earlier, which I think is important to mention now, is the smiles. Like, everybody is so inviting and so welcoming and so, like, helpful. You may not, if you're not ever, if you're not used to it, get used to it because that is, that's the norm there. I never knew, I thought people were like that only existed in Hollywood. No, they are naturally like loving people. Um, I, it was just amazing experience. And that's what really pulls me to want to go back more and more, because even if you meet somebody on the street, they're wanting to help and, you know, in any way, um, the cons is, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a con, but you know, it's just, um, a lot of people just said again, I was saying more like just, differences that things that we're just not used to as much yeah just differences like i said there's not many paved streets you know and that's a little bit to get used to um the lights do go off at a certain time in certain areas even in accra believe it or not even though it's a highly populated area um the lights can go off you know um and and i and i understand it's hot there and i can see a transformer blue at one point and i saw you know the guys up there working on, and I'm thinking, my gosh, it is hot, and they're still working on this electricity. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, they're really working on um, bringing solar energy there, and I think it will be very useful Probably. for them versus, <laughs> versus the energy they're currently using. But, um, but that's the cause. It's just that there's some things that are just a little bit different. The money, our money. Here's a here's a pro. Our money 
goes five times further there. So you typically take a dollar and you multiply it by five. And so one dollar equals typically about five um, Guyanese, what they call CDs. Okay, so when my friends were over there on the second trip, they were considered ballers. (laughs) They had a hundred (laughs) dollars and that hundred dollars turned to 500 CDs and you can do a lot with $100. I mean, actually, um, most of them didn't even use $100 when they were on the trip here. I mean, we took care of a lot of their expenses, though, too. But spending, they were able to buy gifts for, like, cousins, second and third cousins. <laughs> so um, that was that was a lot. That was so appreciative of them. And they talked about how they love how the currency actually go a lot further there. And they were able to kind of make some donations, too, when we were there. Um, you know, it's just that you want to make sure. I know a lot of people want to travel by themselves. Um I don't think it's anything wrong, but I think you still need to have somebody there because even though it's a loving and wonderful place, you, it's still a place where it's people and danger do lurk. Um, it's not very common, but it does happen. And I just think that especially for, you know, individuals traveling alone, just make sure you make some connections. There are online groups, Ghana groups, travel groups that are really focused on traveling to Ghana, meeting people and connecting with people like that would be, you know, ideal. That's one of the things that I would say. Um, I stayed in Airbnb at some point when we traveled to certain areas. Um, that was, I mean, it's, it's very popular there here, just as it is popular in the United States. Um, but it was, honestly, it was not like a big cultural shift for me. And I thought it would be, I mean, but it wasn't. Um, but I have a different perspective versus a couple of my friends who came. Some things were a little shocker to them. Um, but other than that, it was just like I was just on a vacation down south somewhere. Well, it sounds like you had a very enlightening experience. I'm really very happy that you were able to share all of this with us. Um, Before I let you go, though, I know that some people might have some questions about Ghana or might just want to know a little bit more, maybe even in reference to your vegan diet. Can you tell us a little bit about how they can reach you? Oh, absolutely. You can contact me um, at motherlandorganics.com or you can email at motherlandorganics2, the number two, at gmail.com. And you can find out information. One of the things that we are doing um, is we're bringing certain um, organic um, things from Ghana to the United States. Um, one of the things is the soursop, the mango leaves, and what we call pawpaw. Um, and these things are very great for people with diabetes or heart vas- uh, cardiovascular issues, which we know. But those are the two main disease issues and out that's plaguing individuals here in our country. And I think, Scott, it is due to diet <laughs> for, for the most part. Um, and so I going going over there and, and great observation when we're traveling, understanding that these individuals are relatively healthy individuals. What are they doing? So I've been studying the last two times I've traveled over there. What do they do on a daily basis? And I learned that these are the things that they incorporate in their diet on a daily. Paul Paul, which is 
um, papaya. It's actually the original papaya. Um, and then mango. We all know mangoes. <laughs> and then, yes, yeah, I love mangoes. I can eat maybe five by myself. And then we have the soursop. Soursop is very, it's a very ancient fruit. But it's very new to most of Americans. Um, and soursop was really um, highlighted through Dr. Sabi, um, who was from Honduras. And soursop is, a, is very native over there. And those are the things, those are the three things that I wanted to make sure that we had access to here over in the States. And those are the products that they can find on the website. Um, and then we do a free transition guide on and a history guide on veganism so they can go to motherland organics and download that free guide you know that's a really great start for them awesome well thank you can i ask you to come back again for another time uh to talk about some of the other trips oh i would love to i would love to talk about my experience in malaysia it was just amazing absolutely that's awesome again Professor Fasu, I want to thank you so much for your time. It really does mean the world to me, and I know it means a lot to the students to learn all they can about Ghana. So thank you so much for that. Oh, you're welcome. Now, if anyone here has any additional questions on this or you'd like to know more, uh, you can certainly send uh, any emails to me at scott at theprofessortravel.com, or alternatively, you can just go to my website at theprofessortravel.com. In the meantime, I hope all of your travels are wonderful. Thank you again so much and have a wonderful day. Goodbye. The Professor Travel is a broadcast from Orange County, California. A transcript of each podcast may be requested by contacting the Professor Travel at his website, theprofessortravel.com. For opportunities to work with the Professor Travel, feel free to contact Scott at theprofessortravel.com or contact us through YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook at The Professor Travel or Twitter at the Professor TR1. Make every day a great day to have a travel adventure.